Hello Audio Listener. Please subscribe, leave a like and review on the platform you're listening from. The video version of this show is on YouTube and the link will be in the description. Welcome to the show, another episode. Um, today we've got another legend from around the area, <laughs> Mr. Joel West. Thanks for coming on the show, Joel. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, Thanks for coming, man. <laughs> Pleasure, buddy. We appreciate it. So I ask everyone this first question. Yeah. Where did you grow up and how did you get into electronic music? Where did it all begin? Um, I grew up here in British Columbia and it's just a province in Canada if you're watching from elsewhere on the West Coast. Um, I'm from northern BC as a... That's where I grew up as a small child, and music was right from the beginning. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I have a distinct memory of being about two and a half, three years old and getting up before my parents in the morning in my Spider-Man underwear (laughs) and throwing on music. I forget which tape it was. It might have been like Hagrid Hardy or something. The ghost has arrived. That's so good. (laughs) 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 Keep it, keep it. Mistakes are golden. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah, that's never happened, but that freaked me out. I, it, I think it was the uh, Spider-Man underpants. That I think that the, was it. Yeah, you're a superhero. The ghost was like, hello. <laughs> you're a superhero, yeah. Come. Um, yeah, and just getting up and throwing on this, uh, you know, throwing on some music and, and, like, jumping up on the couch and just jumping up and down and, and like, moving around as kids are wont to do. And, um, like, from there, it's just never stopped. I, I We moved from there to the Kootenai area, which is near Nelson in... in in uh, also in British Columbia, and it was that area is known as a very kind of counter has a strong counterculture and mm, arts community sure. and uh, kind of hippie mm-hmm. uh, background. There were a lot of draft dodgers there from the U.S. in the '60s and '70s, and so it was them and their kids. And and with that, there was a really strong jam band and musical culture. Mm-hmm. So I gr- there I grew up just going out and dancing at you know stuff that kid was kid friendly mm-hmm. uh, to very funky music. So it was very very easy to be you know brought along and 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 involved in this musical culture from a very very young age were your parents very into music themselves did they kind of always have it in the house yeah what were they listening to yeah um always especially and for me it was big was car tapes like because we drove a lot because we lived in the country so to get anywhere you had to drive for a fairly long time and the major center was about an hour away so you know in the car was like bob marley and tracy chapman and Murray McLaughlin and Dire Straits, and uh, I'm trying to think of one that I, I'm forgetting right now, but it's just an incredible yeah. kind of mixture. Paul Simon. Um, it's just big mixture of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, whatever I was interjecting into the musical conversation as I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that eventually, as a teenager, turned into like hip hop. And, and I had a cousin from the States who um who's very much into hip-hop and it was part of her culture um so she would visit in the summer and bring me tapes mixtapes and and stuff she was listening to and that turned me on to that whole that whole culture and um in a way that i wouldn't have had access to if i didn't have a cousin from the states mm-hmm. from the city in the states yeah um bringing that type of music um at that age uh, so i got into that really early and that was what i listened to mostly through high school and then that around that time there was a lot of jazz influence like tribe called quest uh souls of mischief stuff like that mm-hmm. um so that got me to jazz 
and then jazz got I, I landed in montreal we were talking about this before we were rolling and that was right when saint germain's tourist came out which was a heavily jazz influenced electronic album with a lot of house mm-hmm. element to it mm-hmm. and um that got me into electronic music in a bigger way than, than I had been before. You know, I was listening to Prodigy and I was listening to stuff like that. It was kind of an extension of almost like metal or punk for me and that kind of like raging big yeah. energy type of, of sure. music as a teenager. Um, but this really got me rooted in, oh, there's this whole culture of electronic music and then living in montreal and starting to go out and experience what clubbing is like and being out all night dancing in a big room with a thousand people i mean that was a real eye-opener for me what, what age were you when you first landed um, in montreal? like 19 20 21 yeah, so perfect yeah Just perfect going out, right perfect age to, to stay up all night and get up and write a paper the next day yeah right you know <laughs> I, I always find that um montreal always have like uh the best like lineups that like they've had boiler room there and everything like is it yeah. is it literally because the the city is that cultural for music yes and that way inclined that it, obviously it draws everyone there for that mm-hmm. for the techno and, and again that. we kind of were just briefly chatting yeah. on it when we like it's it's Montreal, from what I understand, has got a very good party scene. We have to understand that Montreal is the, at the epicenter of a whole nation, in a sense, mm-hmm. yeah. because Quebec in itself is like a country, and Montreal is, although Quebec City is the capital, Montreal is the is the cultural and business capital of of that small nation, mm-hmm. and so it has the best of everything, and it and uh, they're very fashion forward, they're very culture forward, they're very. You know, it's a it's a very. I'll, I would liken it very much to Europe in that way. Yeah, that's um, what I've heard. My daughter yeah. actually went there on a school trip. Yeah, and and because she does f- uh, French immersion. Right. Right. So nice. she went over there on a school trip, and yeah, and she's been to Europe. Obviously, yeah. we're from England, so yeah, she's come over there a couple of times. She has gone over to France, and um, she said, yeah, it's a very European feel. Yeah, there's the buildings as well in it. The buildings mm-hmm. are quite yeah, similar. Everything, yeah. everything yeah. on the, the east the coast is built out of brick. And the architecture and just the culture yeah. and just the way of life. And the, some of that, vibe, right? some of that brick actually came over as ballast from from Europe in ships. Mm-hmm. Is that right? You know, like that's that's cool. some of the really old stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's you know yeah. there is a direct connection not only with the language and all of that, but yeah, but uh, also with the very foundations of the buildings. That's cool, man. So, <laughs> was, was your first like gig in Montreal? No, was my it? first gig. Uh, so after Montreal, I moved. I was I was going to an acting school, the National Theatre School of Canada, right. uh, which is like Canada's Juilliard um, or or Royal Shakespeare Academy or whatever it is mm-hmm. in, in London. Um, uh, what age did you start there? Sorry. Twenty twenty one. So yeah. I did a year at McGill and realized that. I really needed to go to an acting school, so I tried out for the National Theatre School and, and uh, cool. got in, and they only took 14 people a year, and I was one of those 14 people. Wow, that's amazing. Did, nice, my, did my three years there, so I did four years in Montreal, and then I moved to uh, I moved to Sudbury, Ontario, because I had a girlfriend at the time who was in university there finishing up, so I was like, okay, I'll move there while you finish up. That's where I bought my first turntables, which we were talking about was a pair of... Uh, Gemini's, which you had to baby yeah, very yeah. much. Belt so I was drives, playing vinyl. Belt drives oh no, they were they direct were drive, but yeah. they were they were like the sensitive. economy mode. They were yeah, sensitive. sensitive. Yeah, which in a way is a great <laughs> it's a great way to learn. It's the best way to learn because you have to mm-hmm. really yeah uh, build your muscle memory and build your your you know you have to be careful again. You have to be gentle. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I got my first turntables there and spent a while practicing, and then after that moved to Guelph, Ontario. 
because uh, again that that ex-girlfriend got a got a placement there for her for her job or her schooling and that's where I had my first gig out at a place called the Cornerstone um, which was a restaurant that did DJ nights and I train wrecked every mix and I had the most fun <laughs> I was like I am doing this again as often as I can uh, until I get good at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how were the record yeah. store? I didn't mean to cut you off, but what was it like buying vinyl back yeah, then? Yeah, like your first record. You know, like, uh, you it was know. amazing because um, there was in Guelph, actually, there was an incredible record store, which I can remember. I can see the logo in my head. It was a lion's head, and it was run by a guy named Alan. And my friend Dino worked there, who became a mentor to me. He was a really good house head. If you're watching this, Dino, thank you. Alan, too. <laughs> Big shout out to Dino. Um, Big shout out to Dino and Alan. Yeah, for, for helping me along my musical journey. Um, but I, they had great records. And because Dino was there, he would do some of the house buying, I believe, yeah, if I'm so not he, misremembering. He was kind of picking so had, what was coming in. They had great stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. They had Funky House. They had Tribal House, which I was really into at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, bought some of my first Johnny Fiasco records there. Um, Royal Drums, I remember they were big. Uh, so it was, it was a, a very lucky. And it was about two blocks from my house oh, my so it was dangerous yeah <laughs> it's oh, like expensive. my paychecks yeah, going yeah. right yeah. there expensive did they keep, keep a little bag behind for you they stuff you know what you? they actually yeah, did yeah, and yeah. not that's only when you know you're not you're, you're a local in a record and, store when you've got a little bag that they're like oh buddy and sorry alan and dino because I, I know it probably wasn't a good thing but dino used to every once in a while because i'd keep a crate a little bin of my wants and then come and pick them up on payday mm -hmm. and every once in a while i'd say i'm gonna take those seven but not those three mm -hmm. and then he would slip like one an extra one underneath and just... <laughs> <laughs> so sorry guys I'm, I'm giving away your secrets yeah so that was you know but feeling as a as a newcomer into the scene mm -hmm. feeling that sort of love and support from senior more senior djs within the scene um, is is a really important part of of your growth and and feeling like you want to be part of this this mm -hmm. thing whatever this is this electronic music thing so so again thanks for that yeah that's yeah. awesome having those mentors and those people who are kind to you as you as you find your way in I think is really important so if you get a chance to do that please do that yeah <laughs> yeah because it can be a bit of a clicky scene sometimes it can be right so yeah. it's nice when you find people absolutely that actually embrace newcomers and yeah. mentor like you said yeah right uh from there i moved to toronto and started playing out a lot more uh became a resident at the drake hotel uh bi-weekly saturday night resident played it a resident at nasa dance pub played the cool house played different little venues and 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 clubs around queen and john two great better and less success but uh, you know kind of paying my dues yeah it's Did a you, learning curve isn't it sorry cut you off no, it's okay. yeah it was a, it's a learning curve obviously yeah yeah i was yeah. gonna say did you move out to toronto to play music was that part of your move or? i moved to toronto to pursue acting okay but music very quickly became a huge passion a driving passion and i think um Probably I didn't know it at the time, but superseded acting for me. I was actually going to ask, and again, I yeah. didn't mean to cut you off at all, but when you were talking about acting earlier, I was going to say, when was the point where you decided that <laughs> I, maybe music's what I want to do and not acting? So that's almost tying into where we're at right now. You know what? Mm -hmm. I actually remember making a declaration in theater school. There, we, every three months, there was what we had a kind of a coffee house open almost like an open mic night for our student body mm -hmm. where we'd present work that we were working on and we could goof off. We could let blow off some steam because it was a very intense program. 
And I remember on one of those nights, I played one of the songs that I like mashed together in Cakewalk or something. I don't even remember what I was using some, you know, program at the time. And I put it on and I was like, I'm going to do this. I am going to pursue a career in electronic music. It was a terrible song. Again, like you don't know you're bad mm-hmm. at, that, mm-hmm. at that point. You're just like, I'm into this. I'm doing it. Yeah. And so I made that commitment. And I mean, that's, that's a long time ago now. And that's actually not just committing to DJing, that's now committing to producing and making music too. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Going that step beyond just playing other people's music. To yeah. Into... I don't think there's anything wrong with just playing yeah. just no. just playing other people's music. No. But I think if you are if you're really passionate about it and you're a curious person at all, you're going to want to produce music. Mm-hmm. And I and I think there is something special it it inform it they they inform each other so much the way i produce now informs my djing yeah in a way that i I didn't have before and the way i dj informs how i produce in a way that i couldn't have predicted Mm -hmm. um so it's that's interesting they're just people say they're separate skills and they are they do have different but they're married Skill together. Sets, but they're so married they're together. So married together do, you know sure. I, do you know what I found was that I, I obviously I started DJing and then I thought, oh, I need to start producing. Yeah. But when you're DJing and then you're mixing tracks, you know a certain thing. But then when you start making tracks, you're like, ah, oh, I can make this work together so much more easier this way. Right. And you know when certain things are coming a lot more. Yeah. You know, just because you have you have been through that producing sort of phase, well, not phase through that you go through the you know productions thing, and uh, when you DJ, I think it benefits you a bit more, not too much, but I think it does help help with your mixing and track selections as well. Absolutely, uh, yeah, I, I think, think as yeah. well nowadays. And again, I'm not a producer at all, but I think nowadays to really make it and break it you have to be both i think so i think so and i really hit it because there's so many it's so accessible to so many people now yeah it was you know there was stuff around back then but you know, equipment was way more expensive absolutely there's you know cheaper versions of things you can get now software wasn't as available you know there was limited software basic versions of cubase whatever it might have been at the very beginning Right, and I just think it's more people watch it on YouTube, more people say yeah, and the more people have realized that if I really want to stand out from the crowd, I can't just play other people's music. I got to produce. This brings up a couple interesting things. Uh, yeah, the barrier for entry has gotten so much lower for both DJing and producing. DJing especially, uh, I think now has become very easy to kind of pick up and get to a certain level mm-hmm. of aptitude with very quickly. That's why you see people playing out after uh, picking up DJing six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really takes 10 years to make a DJ because mm-hmm. you have to have all those failures and those experiences and those mistakes and different crowds and different nights and different cities and, and absorb all that into your skin mm-hmm. uh, to know how to give it back. And you can't do that without time. Um, and then I would say with producing, while the equipment can be fairly accessible and and all of that it takes the time to really learn how to do it well and it really takes time and effort and a lot of people try and skip that and and hire a ghost producer Uh, i'm very much against that um if you use a ghost producer i hate you (laughs) i think that's pretty much most people if you are a ghost producer i don't hate you if you are hustling and you're making music for someone and someone wants to buy your music and put their name on it, I don't have anything against you. But if you're someone who's built a career on 
putting on other people's music. I, I just, I don't hate you. I'm just wondering, like, what... What are you really gaining? I guess. What are you gaining and what mm. are you losing? Mm. Now, I've said that and I'm going to get a lot of flack because there are a lot of people out there, very, very big people, especially who uh, use um, productions that are made by other people and put their stamp on a few people a lot of people so i'm probably gonna get you know doors slammed on me for saying that we're all entitled to our opinions but that is that is my opinion i I Mm -hmm. guess i'll reframe it and maybe we can cut and edit it or maybe not um i think if you really love music and you're uh, an artistic person and you really love djing and you really love the culture why wouldn't you learn to make music? Why mm. wouldn't you want to do it yourself? Why mm. wouldn't you put the time in? Why wouldn't you be willing to suffer putting out shit music for a few years until you get good at making exactly, music? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is what I've been doing in the last two years or so. I've, I go back and listen to what I've made. I put out 40 or 50 records last year, which is a lot. I've kind of looked back on it and surprised myself. And I go back to some of the, even the early ones in the last year and a half, and I'm like, ooh. Compared to where I am now, yeah, you know, I listened to some of my tracks in 2014. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck, is right? That? But that's just, good. Yeah, it mm-hmm. means you're improving. It's yeah. basically just a fucking kick and a hat. Yeah, a clap, and that's pretty much. That's, and I, that's and some Richie, riff. That's Richie Hotton. Yeah, <laughs> and I totally hear you with the like the time it takes because I, you know, like I said, I don't know anything about it. But right. I've got a couple of toys, and I know even just trying to figure out one of them. Yeah, it takes right, time to really know what's going on, and, right. I, mm. and that can frustrate a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to. Uh, Seth Godin, yeah, Seth Godin has a really good book called The Dip. It talks about um, at first things are easy, and then you get to Realize, this point. Like, oh fuck! You get to this point in, <laughs> called The Dip, where that's when people decide whether to to stick, to yeah. stick or quit. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And yeah. Most people will quit in the dip. Yeah, and it's your your accelerating returns only happen after the dip. So you have to be willing to kind of suffer for a little bit to yeah. push through that. Yeah. Um, which doesn't always have to look like hard work. Sometimes it looks like taking a break. Sometimes it looks like, um, you know, I'm going to leave this for a week. Yeah. And let my subconscious work on it and come back to it fresh. Mm-hmm. I've definitely done that. Because I think for me, I, 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 I'm not going to lie, this may seem bizarre to some people, but I definitely think I'd produce a block for like two years. Yeah. Well, I just couldn't write anything. Oh, yeah. And I had to take a step away from it. I was like, <laughs> no, I'm totally fucking it off for a while and then yep. when i came back it was like i've had a break now and that was coming to canada yeah i took that break and then now it's like I'm, i'll get back into it do you find that uh by taking a break a whole bunch of things that you had worked on or, or things with production kind of consolidated and and you're you're starting at a new plateau uh, i kind of looked at the stuff that i i did before and i thought there's a foundation there yeah but it's not to my there's more I can go now because I've had that break. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I, when I was doing it, I was just like, nah, yeah. yeah, nothing. I was getting sick of bored, not bored of it, but I was getting sick of it because nothing was happening and I started to hate it. Right. And then I just sort of I thought, no, nah, I take a break. But I took a, it ended up being two years because yeah. I moved to Canada and I was like, ah, Joe, you know what? I, I'll just write it out. Now I'm doing it, so I'm actually more of a better mindset for doing it. That's great. But I'm not saying everyone has to take a two-year break. Yeah. <laughs> I did, and it benefited me. People were like, why the fuck two years? But I think mm. what you were saying is, I look at it almost like a, a compressor or a limiter. When you're in it, there's only so far you can go, but when you step back and take that little break, whether mm-hmm. it's 
a weekend or a, a year or a month, you kind of take the top off of it again and you can kind of, mm-hmm. you, like you said, you can go further. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have that same limit from like the box that you're constantly in Stuck running in. in your head. Yeah. Yeah. What about, um, so going back to where you, you know, decided to make the move, this is it. I'm going to start <laughs> making some electronic music. Yeah, what that was kind just... of, uh, what kind of, what, what was the first bit of equipment or software? Like what, when, sure. you, when you first went, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and buy something. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a song. And, what's, um, and what sort of music was it? Sorry, I'll just want to yeah, try no, that in. Of course. Um, I was mucking about with, with, like I said, Cakewalk back in, in, in Montreal. Oh, so yeah. Way, way back. Just kind of, it came with a bundle of loops and I was just assembling those loops and I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, but that was an important thing. You know what? Okay, I got to go further back. I got to go to like junior high school, middle school. And a big thing for me was um, I didn't have access to DJ gear and I wanted to be in a band, but I didn't have friends who wanted to do it and we didn't have that kind of commitment and energy. So I would make pause button tapes. Okay. Like, you know, the tape decks with the two two tape decks next to each other and then you you record but you're just basically making loops or or sampling and i would i would i had a such a huge collection of music and tapes that i would like spoken word and and music and all kinds of stuff comedy and so i would make little cut-ups and i'd like take like a 90 minute tape and do both sides yeah of just like pause button cut cut and it was just like a mishmash i wish i still had that tape Oh, and no doubt. Um, so that's where I would say that kind of experimentation and that kind of um, playfulness came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then cakewalk in in university, and then um, I got more serious. I, I experimented with a crack version of Fruity Loops for a few years. Um, I was making hip hop instrumentals. I was making, trying to make house music. Uh, I don't know that I was very good at it, and then. Um, I kind of got serious and bought Logic in 2006 or 2007, mm-hmm. about the same time I got Serato. I finally got my first MacBook. Um, and that changed changed things for me because all of a sudden this is very, very professional, very, very... The depth is there, and mm-hmm. you, it's it goes as far as you can go. Mm-hmm. So it w- I was way out of my depth at first. Logic, uh, to me, had a very steep learning curve. Um I was making house music and you can, if I go back and I listen to some of those songs that I made, then I didn't put anything out. I didn't release anything. I didn't, I wasn't at that level, but if I go back and listen to it, I can hear a lot of the, just the, the trace elements of where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. I can hear them then. Um, so it's interesting in that way. And I take, took a really long time. I was DJing that whole time, but I I was, I was again, mucking about with, with software and, and trying to make music, but not, not really getting there. Mm-hmm. It's taking a long time, and really, it, it took until moving to Vancouver and starting groundwork and getting to know a bunch. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a, mm-hmm. in a little bit, um, and creating a musical community and learning off other people, like peer-to-peer mentorship, and watching a lot, a lot, a lot of YouTube tutorials. But really, the in-person learning and the 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 bouncing stuff off of other people, and because it's such a solo, can be such a, a lonely and solo uh, venture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just you and your laptop, mm-hmm. basically, or in your synths or whatever it is you have uh, for days and hours and, and weeks of, of just like 
you know, staring at a screen essentially, which is so far disconnected from the experience of music and dancing and, and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. people and yeah, absolutely. togetherness and, and all that wonderful mm-hmm. reason that we love it. Sharing. We love it so much. The sharing, sharing. exactly. Right. We're like isolated and we're staring at a box and we're probably have terrible posture and our back hurts and you know, <laughs> yeah. the cat's jumping on you and um I'm definitely yeah. a person that would learn better <laughs> if I had other people with me, and yeah. I and I agree with. You. I think the the idea of having other people there that you can bounce ideas with yeah. is, I'm sure, for some people very very beneficial. I know it would be for me. Yeah, you know, and that's that's where the impetus for the. I was watching. I was here. I was living here, and because I I moved back to Nelson for a few years uh, in my adult life in my early 30s and lived there for a couple of years and very quickly had a show on the radio and was running events at several of the different venues and knew everybody in town and didn't pay cover anywhere and had had musical community mm-hmm. and then I moved from that to here to Vancouver and had had to start all over again didn't have anything in that way I didn't have I, I left a very warm welcoming community active community and I came to nothing mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt very lonely and isolated artistically Mm-hmm. Um, and I had friends in Calgary from, from, from some festivals that I played in Alberta um, and watched what they were doing with something, a project there called Studio Social and saw that their music was really getting better really fast uh, in what I was seeing online. And I was like, there's something, something's going on there. Like, mm-hmm. what, why are they getting better so quickly? <laughs> and then I was like, it must be because they're getting together and sharing. Mm-hmm. It has to be because of that. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I could go to Calgary and go to the thing. Hang out with those guys. I wish I had that. <laughs> and I did that. I'm not I'm not the brightest. Like, I'm not the brightest. So I was like, I wish I could go to Calgary. And I did that for, like, almost a year. And then it dawned on me one day. I was like, I could do that here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I called my friend up who, uh, Isis Graham, who also known as Eset, who... Um, she runs a lot of stuff in Calgary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, very I, I briefly active. spoke to her before. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was part of the group that that uh, started that, and and so I I called her up and said, "Hey, I'm thinking of doing a similar project out in Vancouver. I don't want to step on your toes or, or you know rip you off in a sense. Uh, can I have your blessing to do that?" Mm-hmm. And she was extraordinarily helpful. Again, another person who was warm and welcoming and willing and to share. Willing mm-hmm. to share. Mm-hmm. And she gave me some pointers on running the first year, and it was really, really great. Um, so that's where Groundwork started. Cool. And that started in 2015. It's now 2022, so we're hitting our seventh year. Our 55th event, the next one, monthly event. Um, we've premiered over probably close to 1500 songs from really? several hundred artists mm-hmm. in the Vancouver area and beyond because since during the pandemic we've gone online on Twitch so we, people have been able to submit from all over the world and mm-hmm. um, get stuff from the east coast I have a friend in Turkey that sends stuff um, it's great so for anyone that doesn't know you know what Groundworks is all sure. about maybe just to explain to the viewers you yeah know, you what's bet. the whole you know obviously you just briefly said yeah it's a social thing but when yeah. you do your events what's it really entail well the the core of it it's several things now mm-hmm. the core of it is um and has always been uh, um, an in-person monthly meetup um, where we have a keynote speaker or someone basically we do a very informal interview style thing like like we're doing here mm-hmm. with someone from the industry so that people can learn something yeah whether it's a promoter or a DJ or 
someone from SOCAN, the, the performing uh, royalty and rights body, or, you know, someone who runs a festival. Yeah. Uh, we've had people from a musical had, TED talk. Almost. Yeah, it's a musical TED talk. It's yeah. but it's very much a dance music mm-hmm. TED talk. Yeah, yeah. So we do that, and that's about an hour. Uh, and then after that, um, people had there's a submission portal online, uh, groundworkvancouver.com. Groundwork is spelled W-E-R-K, like craftwork. Um, <laughs> and people can submit their music, and we play. Sorry, I just need to get some water. I was up till. 8 a.m. DJ. There we go. I'm back. Um, people submit their music, and after the the keynote, we listen to about it's good. it ranges from about a dozen to about 25 tracks wow. from people who are uh, in the room, mm-hmm. which is amazing of all skill levels. Although I would say over the years, the skill level has gone gotten quite high because it's a group, right? Yeah, is a community that's all grown. And we've been running them at the Anza Club in Mount Pleasant in Vancouver. Uh, looking forward to returning there very soon, probably next month for our next one. Um, it's spring of 2022 if you're watching this in the future. Um, and yeah, it, we get about, I would say, 60 to 90 people out on a Wednesday night for an odd producers meetup, which mm-hmm. to me is, that's been fairly consistent over seven years. And and that's perfect that's that's success to me mm-hmm. for that that type of event i thought maybe we'd get 15 or 20 people and it's much 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 more than that yeah um so that's been very very heartwarming and, and feel very supportive in that. do you guys pretty much let every track that gets uh, sent in almost get played or is almost there, yeah yeah because that must be that must be it quite must an be influx hard. yeah um you know what it's a fairly steady 20 to 30 yeah um, of the same artists each time? No, no, I would say there is a core group for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then there, there's always people rotating in and out. And then mm-hmm. some people go away for a while and come back. Yeah. But there is a core group that's there every They're time. They're writer's block. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's a, yeah, as it should be, there's, there's, there's a steady group and, a, mm-hmm. and, a, and you know, some, some, some influx and some outflow at the same time. And you guys, like, at the end hang out and chat oh yeah i mean it's it's a right? it's a social yeah the the point of it really is the social aspect is the hanging out and yeah chat. because because while them, their music's playing up in the screen and we project their their uh you know their either their logo or their their face yeah. or and all their socials so people can go and follow them name of the track so people can look it up after um we project that on the wall where the track is playing and then people are just hanging out and having a beer and and uh chatting and yeah. that's where the magic happens for sure it's like I used to run improv workshops and the magic would happen at lunchtime when the participants got to chat with each other. Mm-hmm. And that was always the best part of the, the intro to improv workshop was lunch because yeah. they're all excited and they're, they're making connections. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's where ideas and things. Yeah, and that's where the friendships come. That's where the, yeah. all that stuff begins. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I, I've been meaning to come to groundwork. Yeah. I just never got a chance to. <coughs> um, because I couldn't afford to get down. I didn't have a car coming to Canada. But um, what was the first one like doing it? Was like was it quite nervous? Nervous stuff when you did it because you think will these people turn up? Absolutely. Was it all, did you have a lot? Was it a, mind, a small amount? Our very first one was at the Beaumont, yeah. April twenty second, twenty fifteen, and I again I expected maybe twenty five people. Yeah. We had eighty nine. Wow. Um, some of the people who showed up at the very first one are still part of it today. That's cool. Um, my, I, I remember distinctly this 
kind of imposing uh, guy came in with his ball cap, kind of like yours, just kind of low on his head and, and kind of had a bit of a, not a scowl, but just kind of like a, a set face that was like, and I was like, I'm scared of this man. Um, and then he played his track and I was like, this track is amazing, but I'm scared of this man. <laughs> <laughs> and now many years later, he's my best friend and we've been a DJ duo together, uh, played Gorgamish back to back all night. Um, I'm releasing his album on my label, um, you know, coming this spring. Cool. Uh, we've done remixes for each other. We've gotten each other on different labels. Yeah. I got him on Needed Pains because I got a release on Needed Pains, so I got him to do a remix for me, Denson Pika's label. Was um, you like, uh, please be a good track? Because I really don't want to tell this guy his track sucks. Please be a good track. Because uh, I've got to be the guy who goes up to him sorry, man, his track needs a lot of work. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know what's great is now we have a point in our friendship where we tell each other frankly if the track sucks. That's yeah, probably that's what the makes best it way. better, right? Yeah. And nobody's hurt. Nah, but you know. the amazing thing is that for both of us, I think most of the time, like 80 to 90% of the time, the track doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really cool. Did you do the first keynote on the first night then? I, I always talk at the beginning. Like I, I, yeah. I warm the room and I welcome people because I have, an, again, that acting and improv background. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very comfortable in front of people I was going to say yeah because when you've got 80, 80 something people coming in and you walk up you're like shit this is actually no no and you're like uh, hello welcome <laughs> to the ground no I, that part I'm not worried about sweet it was more the because the, I'm very comfortable with that because mm-hmm. I do like in the improv shows I do hosting so mm-hmm. it, I'm very comfortable in front of groups of large people yeah um, and even not having a plan and being on the mic and being in front of a group of large people um I'm actually looking forward to it. You're talking about it, and it's making me excited for the next groundwork. Good. Go. Um, I'll, I'll make a trip down there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah which should be. I'm just confirming the dates with uh, with our venue, but um, I was shooting some messages back and forth with the manager, so I should have a date nailed down this week. And and it, I'm thinking towards the end of March, uh, which should be our next one and our first one in person in two years because wow. of the pandemic. So and for people out there too, if you're not a producer, you're still allowed to go down. Absolutely. It's a wonderful yep. event for anybody who's creative, mm-hmm. for anybody who's looking to find community and likes other creatives, for anybody who's interested in music, for anybody especially who's interested in dance music and nightlife culture, mm-hmm. um, who wants to know the people who do that and who are part of that in the scene. That's a great concept. It kind of it you know. actively attracts people who are open and warm. And the, I would say like the people who are jerks kind of weed themselves out. Mm-hmm. So we have a very supportive core group of people um and that's been really powerful for me it's been i've i people keep saying to me it's been really powerful for them so nice um it's something i continue i intend to continue doing as long as i can so yeah. as, I, as i haven't uh been and we get a lot of uk listeners as well obviously mm-hmm. uk following and stuff um how would i send a track into you what's the process for me to come to groundwork Sure. Like obviously, I've got to turn up and show my face, but the process of sending sending you the song, and then when when I'm there, yeah. Like how do you? Is it a pick of a draw, or do you have people set out in the in a? So it's by it, BPM or you know? no? It's um. People sending their music in the there's a kind of an open submission time, and then we cut off about a week beforehand, mm-hmm. so we have time to process everything, and you know do a playlist and set everything up before before the night um and then on the night it's just a playlist and i go by feel i'm just like this 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 because i've been a dj for so long and it's just like 
told you actually have mm-hmm. a set of CDJs there and DJ. No, we don't. No, we don't DJ it because it's multi-genre. Yeah, and people also not only want to hear. Uh, they want to hear the intro. They want to hear the outro. They yeah, want it. they want the whole track. They want the whole track. Yeah, and yeah. and honestly, it's almost like a jazz club. Like we clap after the tracks. Yeah, know? like nice. yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is great. No, that's um, awesome. So yeah, I have. I'm very much. I've got. I started in house, and I've definitely turned a very sharp corner into techno. I wouldn't say it's a sharp corner. They're right next door to each other, but I'm very much a techno guy now. The label groundwork has evolved into a label because we had all this music to sitting there basically live a and ring mm-hmm. hundreds and thousands of tracks similar to myself yeah so it, it made sense to have an outlet for that absolutely uh, since then i've focused the label down to techno because it's what i dj it's because uh i want i wanted a unified sound for the label uh as it interfaces with the world who maybe don't know about the the meetup and have it has no meaning to them they've just found the label i wanted that to be consistent mm-hmm. and and sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah i know i totally just did but um <laughs> Is your label? Do you take tracks from people that have never gone to a groundwork? Have Absolutely, had their track on it. Yeah, I would it's say not just for. It's been it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it originated as a way to be an outlet for people who were contributing to the the monthly events, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's important to have a blend of both where groundwork meets the world, and I've I've got a uh, an artist from from Russia that I'm releasing. And I'm actually, I, I thought about that as there are some events unfolding in the world right now. Again, if you're watching this in the future, I hope it played out well. So do I. Um, and I thought about it and I was like, is now the time to release that? Is, you know, is there, will be there be pushback? Will there be an ill perception because of world events at the moment? Uh, I don't, I've, I believe, would really like to think not. I, I would like it, to think not too. I would too. Like yeah. to think not. Yeah, you know, you I think, yeah. I think... Not everyone's you know, thinking the same. I don't think. Yeah, I'd like to think that the world is open-minded enough to know that it's not the people. That's, exactly. That's this situation's about. Exactly. So I don't think releasing someone's music because they come from a certain part of the world has anything to do with anything myself. Absolutely, that's my opinion. But uh, you know. uh, cheers for that because I, I I I had a moment where I I crossed my mind mm-hmm. and then I went well no music is the great unifier absolutely and if we can come together around this we're having a message that runs counter to some of the unfortunate yeah. events that are unfolding absolutely and you can't you can't live life to think of oh, what people are worried what people will think and say yeah you know you just gotta go with what you think you yeah. want to do best and and you know like craig said music is a unifier so yeah. if isn't many people in music are very open warm and not narrow-minded so they're yeah. going to accept the fact that yeah you know hey this this guy's got some great music and yeah it might change people's perspective and that's it it to me is 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 it's it's that coming together music is about peace music is about togetherness and community Mm -hmm. and about you know connection absolutely building those bridges so um, i mean that's that's where i've come to with it Yes, yeah, it's wicked, man. <laughs> yeah. The whole part is, you know, like you said, you know, with what you're doing now, producing with other people and getting together like a group, but just yeah. even the raw part of it, being in a club on a dance floor with yeah. a whole load of people that you don't know, yeah. all of a sudden you're all smiling and dancing together. Beautiful. Just because the music that's playing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a magical thing. Yeah, and if we're in the situation where, you know, you had to pick up a gun the next day and, and go fight on something, you might be a lot less likely to if you knew that you'd just seen that person 
on the dance floor the night yeah, before. Maybe, yeah, yeah, and, uh, it's, yeah. I think yeah, that's man. a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, I want to step back, it's been in the back of my mind, this is, I want to step back just a little bit yeah. um, to your producing. Sure. Because uh, like you and Craig have discussed about uh, you benefit more from being in person, a bit like groundwork, you know, yeah. sharing things. You did a masterclass with Richie Horton, I've seen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because I, I always dig into people's profiles and nice. have a little look and try <laughs> and get some history. And I've, you've done it with pretty much one of the biggest legends in techno. So. Yeah, that was yeah. that was quite something. So a couple of years ago, um, the Nas- National Music Center in Calgary held a masterclass with Richie Horton, a one-day masterclass, um, kind of a... a a quick a quick shot with Richie Houghton. Wow. And it was it was quite a treat. And so how I applied many, for it and thinking I would never get in. How many people were there? Like, oh, uh, might have been seven or eight of us. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I never thought I would be one of those people. And, but I was like, I'm going to apply. It's Richie Houghton. He's coming to camp back to mm-hmm. Canada. And it's at the National Music Center, which is an incredible venue. Uh, it cost me nothing to apply. I'm going to apply. And I got in. So I, I made the trip to Calgary, and, and uh, there we were for a day. That's we played, played him our tracks, and he gave us some feedback. And uh, he was incredibly uh, humble, and he was incredibly open, and he was incredibly engaged, um, for which I was, I was really happy. Thinking back on it now, I would have different questions for him mm-hmm. because I, I know more of what I need, Yeah, and I would come at it at a different level. Um, but... It was just it was just such an incredible thing to oh, have a connection with someone like that experience I've yeah. heard he's very yeah. much a, a, a very nice man he was very, like yeah a people people person he was gracious mm-hmm. I got a friend back in uh, my hometown in in the UK and uh, he's a his he done a similar thing back in back in the UK and uh, my my friend Paul Neary um, he's obviously a producer and DJ or he plays live and uh, he follows Richie around pretty much everywhere, like idolizes him in what he does. And uh, he has his music played by Richie Horton as well and done yeah. similar sort of thing in Masterclass. And uh, he said similar, same thing as well, that he's a really nice guy. Any questions, he'll answer the best he can. I mean, yeah. he's very, very knowledgeable, obviously. And it's crazy. It's nice to, to, with someone who's on his level, will do that still. Yeah, like, do you know what I mean? Like, think as a small guy, right? Yeah. The little guy and... Um, I asked him, I, one of the questions I asked him was like, how many people does it take to run you as Richie Houghton, the brand? Like, mm-hmm. And without even thinking, he said 12. <laughs> I'm like, wow. wow. And you took the time to come here. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I forget where I got this. So I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing something. Uh, so source needed. But someone was talking about having always having a hand reaching ahead of you. So like to the next level that you want to get to. So always going moving forward, but always having a hand out behind you, pulling up the people behind you mm-hmm. um, at the same time mm-hmm. so that you're connected and you're, you're always moving, uh, but you're not alone. And 
something him taking the time to do that to me is very much him having his hand behind him pulling up the people behind him mm-hmm. as well as his big world in front of him yeah yeah it's, so it's almost that's cool it's almost like an apprenticeship analogy yeah like if you, if you were a tradesman and you, and you went through your whole trade and you didn't train anyone else what's yeah. the point of doing the trade absolutely the whole point is you learn your skill and then you pass it on to the people below absolutely so that they can come up and sometimes the apprentice is going to get better than you yeah but that's okay because <laughs> one day you might get you a job somewhere or something it, that's I mean? exactly like it it's, yeah uh, so do, have you done any other have you met any other famous people for that particular reason that we've learned lessons from or oh yeah you've you've had conversations with so oh absolutely out. yeah who have you met um well some people that are booked to come here yeah um it's because Groundwork also does events. So Which we'll we, get onto that, yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah. We, we, we started booking some techno acts to come to Vancouver, and we've done show, local showcases, and we've worked with Monster Cat to produce a stage, second stage for their compound, and we've done events like listening parties at Base Coast, and we've, done, we've been active um, outside of just having hosting a listening party. Um, so 2018, I brought Leighton Giordani, who's now drum code a huge drum code star mm-hmm. um brought him here uh, he was just i mean he was already a star but he was kind of he just put out space date and he was just like rocketing to, to stardom um and caught him on his on his upswing um and as the promoter you know you ask the talent you're like hey we'll get you dinner if you if you're feeling social we'll, we'll go out for dinner if you're not just chill in your hotel room and he was like oh let's get dinner and one of the things I learned, I learned two things. The rider is quite often different from what the artists want. So the rider is, is what the management will send on saying, artist must have four bottles of Coca-Cola plus two bottles of Patron plus three white t-shirts plus four Twix bars sitting by the DJ have booth. You, have you had that before? Have I had that sent to me or have I put have, that out there? Have you put that out there? Like, you, what your requests are? Um, I've had I'm it not, twice. I'm not at that level yet. No, I've had it twice. <laughs> you're, you're I'm not at that level, <laughs> but I had it twice. And yeah. I asked for a, a bag of more teasers yeah. and three bottles of Ribena. Which, you know Ribena? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you know Ribena? Yeah, yeah. 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 And he's like, do you really want that? I was like, yeah, man, I've got to drive. And yeah. I need as much sugar as I can to keep me awake. And I like chocolate. Funnily enough, uh, back to the Richie Houghton thing, uh, yeah, sorry, the night after we did the masterclass, he was playing at the Hi-Fi Club, RIP the Hi-Fi Club in Calgary. And then I was playing the night after that mm-hmm. at the Hi-Fi Club. So the night after Richie Houghton, his rider was still in the fridge. So we got to eat and drink his rider because he didn't touch it. Really? Just <laughs> <laughs> was like a bottle of sake and all this fresh fruit and like all this incredible stuff. And it was just sitting in the fridge going to get chucked out. So we're like, a couple of the DJs that were playing were like, I guess we can have that. Well, maybe, maybe like you were saying, it was his management that said he wanted it and he didn't really want it. Does he make his own sake as well? He does. He has his yeah, own sake yeah, brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he does. So Leighton's, Leighton's management sent along his rider and we, we fulfilled that because mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. contractually. And then we got there and he's like, yeah, I don't really drink anymore. I'm like, we bought you a $200, you know, $200 bottle of tequila because that's what's <laughs> yeah. on your rider. He's like, yeah, I don't really drink anymore. And that was one of the things I learned uh, just in having that conversation with him is that when you get to a certain level, yep. a lot of people stop partying because they have to fulfill things. It's like Contracts. an athlete. They yeah, have yeah. to fulfill stuff at such a high level so often that they can't afford to have the off days and the down days and the recovery yeah. time. Oh, you can burn out too. Yeah. A lot of artists have burned out. Your mic, right? Yeah, sure. Oh, is it 
yeah, dropping down a little dropped bit. Down a bit. Yeah, probably still got me because I project quite a bit. But yeah, I think over the years a lot of Perfect, man. artists have burnt out. Yeah, except right. for Ricardo Villalobos. Yeah. He's still going. Or Solomon. Solomon's still going out yeah. there, like dancing <laughs> amongst the crowd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so learn that from him. Also, he was an avid skateboarder, as was I, and a, and a yeah. snowboarder. Growing up in British Columbia, it's the heaven for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of got back into skateboarding a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying he had to quit skateboarding because he showed me a scar on his arm. And he's like, I, I broke my arm and I can't have that in no. my career. This is how I, I can't mean, do yeah. it. So I'm starting to think like, oh, no, maybe I need to not do that because if i get hurt i mm-hmm. can't dj yeah yeah um, so met met him um and then through him at ade that year um oh, went, you went to ade went to ed AD in 2018 that? did you go cardano say it again sorry cardano went to that one yes he? yes yeah yes. there at the same time yeah he did didn't he yeah he said he, he went to it he said there's a lot of, he's he said a lot of stereotypes there, people with like... Oh, yeah. He, 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 I don't know if you've watched his show that we did with him, but yeah. he was just like taking the piss out of like how people, some people are. But he yeah. said everyone's just on their phones. Yeah. Like when they're listening to tracks, I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry, just cut you off. What was ADE like? Yeah. It was good. Um, because I booked him in September and ADE was in October, he's like, I'll connect you when you're at a- when we're at ADE. So he got uh, my girlfriend and I uh, VIP backstage to drum code at Gas Outer uh, for Awakenings. Nice. So we were backstage and I got to meet a lot of people. Like, wow. uh, 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 now I'm blanking, but a lot of the, the crew like Weska and Boxia and um, I was watching right behind Enrico San Giuliano while he was playing and Ida Emberg and and everybody who was playing that night we were right behind them cool um didn't get to meet Adam Bear because right when he was kind of coming in and playing a set I had to I had to fuck off and go play a set and then come back so I came back for Emily Lenz's set uh so I missed I feel embarrassed saying that but I missed Adam Bear's set and didn't get to say hi to him um uh, backstage but like pig and dan were there and Sweet. bart skills was there like nice. everybody who was everybody was in the backstage area yeah um so met quite a few people there that's cool um, and then yeah i um, booked mastercraft to come here before the pandemic and now now jesse uh, and i have become friends and and um he does all the mastering for the label and and has become an integral part of the sound of the label which is yeah. really cool um yeah so it it it's interesting to be be a in you know a really small town kid and then all of a sudden i'm kind of rubbing shoulders and meeting and working with, with these really big people yeah with these really big people it's been quite a quite a journey so and to be fair though you've put the work in yeah well thank you thanks for saying that it just happened overnight is it i've done the groundwork right you've done the groundwork. Well, hey, <laughs> yeah. what do you know is that what you mean but so did you do the events first before the listening parties or was it the events after the listening parties with groundwork the listening parties came first and very quickly we started doing uh showcases for local talent because we were meeting so many people yeah yeah. um and i keep saying we because at the time there were more of us involved in the project some people have now dropped away to go and pursue their own projects Mm -hmm. uh, which is what groundwork was actually about when we when that team at the time first met we were like i want to develop all of us and i want all of us to go off and do our own things and that's exactly what's happened cool so it it, uh it's fulfilled its mission so now groundwork is mostly me 
Um, but at the time it was definitely we, and, uh, we started with listening parties and very quickly did local showcases. We did a summer party on a, it was a huge storm. Like power went out to like 70,000 people. It was a major windstorm and we still had like 150 people out nice. to this little warehousey thing on industrial Ave. Uh, I'll never forget that. And you still have power, obviously. Or you have yeah, but what was funny is it was, I was actually outside the building under a little covered area next to the train tracks and it started to rain and we realized that the, the covering had holes in it. So the water started to drip through and collect oh and pool God. at the bottom, and the subs were on the floor. Oh God! And all the all the wires <laughs> all the were on the floor, oh and the and the water started to rise. <laughs> so we had you know half the party like throw tarps over the gear. Music never stopped. Yeah, yeah. And then the other half of the part, like other people were picking up the sub and holding it while other people put stuff underneath it so that it would yeah, like wouldn't yeah. get flooded by the water. And like we put CDJ cases down to stand on while we were playing, and and it was just part of like part and parcel of what we were doing you know that we all came together to make this work and yeah. happen and uh you know potentially very dangerous situation but that's what makes yeah. it memorable oh for sure yeah. they're, the, they're the, some of the best parties absolutely right yeah, yeah. and then we did a winter showcase and then from there it was just yeah we started doing shows just started rolling yeah, yeah. so i want to go into the uh your producer sort of stuff so yeah what was the we obviously you mentioned you started fruity loops and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you build a studio in your in your in your play in your in your uh, you know, apartment or house yep. whatever you live in? Yeah. And what was the first piece of equipment that you bought? Like first first hardware. First hardware. Yeah. Uh, first hardware would probably be a korg monotron which is this 80 dollar ribbon mm -hmm. synth the yeah, ribbon yeah, one that, that big yeah, battery yeah, power guys yeah. that was probably my first synth i had a keyboard when i was a kid like a, a yamaha keyboard which i wish i still had um but the monotron was probably my first synthesizer um for such a small little box it does it a you, lot actually it does quite a lot yeah. it's making me want to get it back out <laughs> it can, you can get some wild sweeps and some pretty wild sounds out of it right um <laughs> but like the volkas yeah yeah oh. so but now i've got a volka fm which is a really cool synth that i want to dive into uh i've got a, a meblip geode which i would recommend to anybody it's a, a calgary company uh, cool. it's a wild little box it's about that big made in canada made in canada so that's good meblip geode check it out meblip is m-e-e-b-l-i-p i think um and they're not expensive, but they sound huge. Really? Uh, I've got a Prophet 8, and I've got a Yamaha Ooh. DX7, and I've got a Behringer Neutron, and a Behringer Model D, and a Korg Arp Odyssey, and uh, I'm forgetting stuff, but I have I have quite a few since now. Yeah. We've talked about Behringer a few times. Me and Brad quite like Behringer. Just because oh, bang for buck. Yeah, bang for buck. Bang you're not going to beat it. Right. And the Behringer Neutron is like my favorite synth. Yeah. It's yeah, semi-modular. Yeah. Modular, full modular still really scares me. But it's semi-modular, so I feel like I'm dipping my toe in, but I can get out if I need to. Mm -hmm. I'm in the kiddie pool of modular. And it just has such a rough, like, it just suits the type of music I'm making. Yeah. So, And it's one of Behringer's kind of original synths. It's not a, it's yeah. not a knockoff of, of someone else's, someone else's yeah. patent. Yeah. It's actually their original design. Yeah. Uh, what do you design. think of the Model D? Because I'm love looking it. to purchase it, and I'm like, yeah. You should get one. Yeah? Yeah. But I would I would recommend getting both if you can. The poly and the model. Uh, the neutron and the, and the, the neutron model and the, D. Yeah. Oh, okay. They have different tonality and the model D is really great. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like a Moog. 
um it's it's fantastic and i've used that on some some records already that are out and released um yeah and you got profit eight profit eight i'm actually on loan to my production partner the goat who was the the intimidating man that i that i described oh yeah at the beginning from the first groundwork his name is chris and he he, he's known as the goat Uh, he recently followed our show yeah uh, Yeah. thanks very much and i messaged him so thanks very much yeah he's a great dude and a, he's a great interview too so if he's you ever want to have him on yeah i said to him when you come down we'll we'll get him on yeah uh, in march i think he's here is he yeah and he'll have an album coming up after Perfect. that so it'd be that'd a great be, time to catch him be a good chat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so see how scary he is yeah <laughs> he's a really nice guy i'll have to uh do the doors so i can feel through yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah production wise i would say uh, I have a lot of synths. Sometimes I turn them on and use them, and sometimes I'm in the box. Logic has such an incredible package of like Alchemy is such an incredible synth within yeah. Logic. Mm-hmm. The sampler, then the sampler in Logic is so powerful, and I have some great sample libraries. And um, I I bought some third party synths that I really really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'm just working in the box. Really, it's just easy. Yeah. It's right there, it's and right it's there. on your computer. It's, yeah, you, you can know. buy VSTs, uh, plugins for anything. I got the yeah. Poly Six and the Mono Six Core yeah. plugins. They were for free at one point. And I just was like, yeah. get now, get now, get now. <laughs> and then they're, I think they're wicked. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. about um, changing the subject? Yeah. Slightly from like producing and stuff. What about? I mean, we could just talk about Vancouver clubs, but what about some of the your favorite clubs? Not necessarily to play in. But the ones you've been to, but yeah, for sure. Which are your favorite clubs that you've played and frequented? Well, huh. you can give us a top three or the top five three or four. My <laughs> top one, uh, top one in Vancouver is Gorgamish. Obviously, absolutely, yeah, obviously hands that. down. If you haven't been to Gorgamish, uh, definitely we check say it out. Every in time the sound system in there is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's uh, it's I think seventeen or eighteen years deep too. So mm-hmm. it's it's an institution here in Vancouver. It's yeah. an after hours. It's two to eight a.m. Friday and Saturday. Um, I might even make some T-shirts. We all love Gorgamish. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they'd love that. I'm sure. So that that would be a, a top spot for me um, to play in the city and to go to in the city. Um, but around the world, um, I loved the spectacle and the energy and the shape and the massiveness of Gas Hoder, of course, because it's just such a iconic mm-hmm. place and the fire going off in the middle of the set and yeah. there's an old gas processing plant. It's just kind of got that industrial... Yeah. you know thing to it uh and seeing those acts there so at, at that scale of things i thought that was quite a place um i've had great times in very small places too i really liked i liked actvarium in budapest budapest eh? probably because i saw Rodhead there and he's one of my favorite artists well dad i yeah. uh i met him at a chat of him um uh because in our local area, we have uh, Nick Van Trulis from there, yeah. Mark Knight, and all them, all them boys. Yeah. That's from there I'm from. And uh, he has uh, Horton play, and Ruddick came. But I don't think he was quite as big back then. Right. And he was just walking around, just casually, like, around the, the fair and yeah. everything. And I was just like... And he just pointed at me, and I was like, <laughs> you are who I think you are. He's like, oh, I'm Ruddick. I'm like... Okay, man. Like, no, no one's actually acknowledged that he's here, walking amongst the crowd. And I was like, 
can we have a chat? He's like, yeah. And he was wicked to talk to. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. He played on the same night as like Andy Schneider and yeah. Horton. He was in the techno bar and Carl Cox played. And wow. Yeah. And it, was, it just blew my mind where he was just, he was like looking around because we had like cotton candy and stuff. And he was just like, he was like oh, I'm buying some cotton candy. He was just like, <laughs> mind his own business and people were bombing past him. And I was like, <laughs> he's yeah. incredible. He's, he's a, one heck of a producer and a great performer and he yeah. plays a great set. So it was, I think part of my fondness for that club is seeing him there for sure. Yeah. Um, I have this memory and only for this one particular reason, not only for this one particular reason, it was a great show and a great club to play, but, but specifically for me, there was a place called Y After Hours in Edmonton that I played a few years ago. And the booth was so clear the monitoring in the booth was so clear that I barely touched my headphones all night. Really? really? And to me, that was just, it was special for some reason. Mm-hmm. So that will always stick with me in, in some of my top experiences. I've never experienced monitoring that clear uh, in a larger room of a club mm-hmm. before. Gorgamish is pretty good too, actually, um, but, but never anything like that. So I'd love to go back there and play sometime. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. Top clubs around it, the world. I had a, a great one, time right? in a like sports arena in Bulgaria and Sofia right. at a drum code party seeing Denson Pika and Julian Jewell and Timo and um because the Bulgarians were so friendly and having such a great time and everyone was partying their faces off but no one was mangled. Yeah. Uh and, and yeah, everyone was so friendly. Hmm. Uh, and we were also welcomed in there and like the, uh, my girlfriend knew the promoter. So we were brought backstage and we were brought on stage and we were having drinks with the guys while they were playing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was kind of a special moment. So I think part of my, I'm, I'm definitely noticing as I'm talking here that part of my fondness for certain places has to do with how we were treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and well, again, people. back to that welcoming right. in thing, yeah. Yeah. the yeah. relationships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've met quite a few people through your career, then. Yeah, I, it was meeting. It was meeting yeah. Denson Pika. That was the same trip to ADE. Mm-hmm. We went to um, uh, Budapest and went to Sofia at the same time in that trip. And um, it was through meeting Denson Pika at that show that I got on their label. Because a few years later, I pinged them and I said, "Hey, do you remember me? I met you in Sofia." And they're like, "Oh, of course we remember you." I'm like, "Can I send you some music?" They're like, "Yeah, of course, man. Don't eat." And it was way easier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's that was, good, man. It was, it was cool. Yeah. That's really good. What, uh, another one I was going to, this is going back a little bit again. Sure. So uh, we talked, obviously, your, your first turntables were some yeah. Geminis. Yeah. And uh, so when did you first transition into CDJs? And did you buy your own set or did someone else have a set that you played on? And when did you decide to sort of, obviously you've got to move that way nowadays, but you know, yeah. what's, when did that sort of start? Um, CDJs were in clubs at the same time when I was playing records in clubs in like okay. 2004, 2005, 2006. I never played CDs. Mm-hmm. I After records, I went to Serato and played off my computer yeah. uh, mm-hmm. using uh, turntables and then like with the dvs did you with the dvs yeah. and then and then started playing cd control for serato so mm-hmm. friends had cdjs i then bought a set of cdjs off my friend to use as controls for serato um but still never played cds uh, like maybe 
four or five times. Not, yeah. not like I play CDs and I show up with a book of CDs. Um, and then really went from Serato to playing USB keys. Yeah. So uh, a few years, you know, a few years ago. Yeah. For mm. me. I remember yeah. when uh, the Serato first came out, someone in our city got it first and he was telling me about it. He's like, yeah, man, I got this new digital vinyl shit. Yeah. He's like, it's fucking mad. Yeah. Put your laptop on. He was like, pick the needle up. I was like, fuck off. So <laughs> like, what are you going on about? I yeah. Like, that's some that's some magic stuff right there. And he's like, no, straight up, come around, check it out. Yeah. Blew my mind. I remember my mind. same thing. It was, I was it, just it, like, hey, what the fuck, man? This is some, <laughs> some gout out wizardry. <laughs> there was a, it was back when I was in Guelph. I saw the first person I saw using uh, Final Scratch, I think it was. Okay. And yeah, yeah it was mind blowing. You're yeah. like, what are they doing? They can do that? Yeah. That's amazing. Now what's the new one that they, obviously there's so much stuff now, but the yeah. Phase is the one that a lot of people are using now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. which is, I think it's called Phase. I'm sure it's called Phase. Same thing, goes on any turntable. It's a little block, yeah. right, that you yeah. just put over the over your pin. Yeah. And then you don't even need the needle on there. That's right. Right, it's just Bluetoothed <laughs> over. I'm not, again, I've seen some guys just holding it and like oh, stretching really? with it in the air because as long as it's Bluetoothed in and spinning, it doesn't really need to be anywhere. You can yeah, just, right. You know, it's amazing. Technology, it's fantastic. Again, you know, talking about Northern House and the, that new Pioneer mixer. Oh, yeah. Man, that shit just blows my Even mind. Even the 3000s, man, they got They're the... great. I got like the picture inside now where the vinyl bit used yeah. to be inside mm. of the of the album cover. I, I swear, and I don't know if it, I'm not going to get my phone out, but I swear, and it could be just a, a a weird fucking YouTube thing. But I swear, I saw a CDJ player that you can put tapes in now as well. Oh really? Yeah, it wasn't Pioneer. It might just be a, like a Gimmick. stupid fucking meme thing. But I was like, <laughs> what is going on in the world right it now? Would su- it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah, people are doing mixtapes again. Yeah. I know. I, I know. People, I, I know there was a guy back in the day that used to do it with the old uh, reel-to-reel tapes. Yeah, yeah. Two of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody's still doing a reel-to-reel set, and there's. I just saw it recently. Two different people. Yeah. I can't think of who, but... Next yeah. level. Yeah, really next that's level. That's next level that's, shit. Uh, that's going like, to the rotary mixers. That's becoming a bit of a thing now. Isn't yeah, it? yeah lot, going back lot, to that. A lot of the manufacturers rotary. have come out with the rotary models now, right? Mm-hmm. I know. I I just I like the crossfader. I do every now and again. Like to you just use the crossfader yeah. out a little bit. Yeah. 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 I like having it there. Right. I don't know if I could ever just have just that. I, I could know. do that. I I, I tend could. I tend to not use the crossfader myself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big CDJ fan. I think they're great. I think it's a great platform. Mm-hmm. I think they're they make a lot of sense. I think they're well laid out. I think they're. I they're I, I actually would really like to learn on them. I wouldn't mind talking to Dom and Bryn about going mm-hmm. down to Northern House and oh having, yeah, having a little jam out with Dom. I'm going there tomorrow and, uh, to do that with someone on my label who wants to learn. We'll learn just to, to learn. Yeah, 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 exactly. I want to learn the equipment, and again, yeah. that's where we were talking to them the other night. That's why they've set it up there so people can pay because obviously you got to pay your dues, people. Sure, pay and go down there yeah. and learn how to use state of the art equipment that you could. Most people, well, not most people, I would guarantee you, like 90% of people would never want to invest that amount of money. Yeah, not to have at home. It's not cheap. No. No. no, no that's, good. that's not a home setup. <coughs> you can go and get a good Pioneer controller. Yeah, that's what it, I have. Like, that's what it, I have for home. I have a Pioneer controller. It does the same stuff-ish. 
Yeah, and it's it's laid out the same, it's so laid out you're going to be able to translate it to the bigger Absolutely. system. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, they yeah. very much recognize that when they've been building all their products. So, yeah, you know, which is great. Yeah. The ecosystem and the layout is the same. The ergonomics are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I have at home is a Pioneer DJ controller. Yeah, so, so which you model? pretty much need, yeah. Which model you got? Uh, I have a DDJ 1000. SX a thousand. It's the gold one. Yeah, so it's even, like C3PO. even they're not cheap, are they? What's that? Even they're not no. cheap. No, they're not. No. But you but a thousand dollars versus ten thousand dollars for C3PO. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and again, they do some of their controllers now are three grand. Yeah. But they do the ones that are cheaper too. And yeah. and if you are someone that wants to get into a controller style of DJing, and we've talked about this on other shows, there is cheaper models that do do similar stuff that you can learn on at home. You don't have to invest a thousand dollars if you don't want to that's right but if you were going to spend the money you'd be better off spending a thousand dollars on a pioneer one i think it was so. going to be the same as what you're going to approach yeah. in a club yeah right yeah and it's really worth the time um most venues and clubs are not going to let you come in uh and bring your controller and no, your laptop no, and put it no. down and disrupt everything no some do and that's great mm. um but you're expected to be able to work on the industry standard uh, equipment and mm-hmm. so it's really worth the time and such a great thing to have a place like northern house where Absolutely. you can go in and rent rent some time mm-hmm. it's not that expensive it's worth it and and you know go through your reps and figure your stuff out so that when you hit the club you're ready yeah um and they've got not that hard as well didn't they yep. so some clubs have been gone from the the 2000s to the 3000s yet yeah so that's what you said yesterday wasn't it they mm-hmm. had they had two and the three for, for you guys obviously i don't know how many of the different models you but you've obviously used quite a few of the models i would think of the yeah. cdjs now yeah is there much difference between the models and how many of the functions change within each one like when they're stepping up is there major changes well i'd say the big one is touchscreen now which yeah. i was so leery of because you're you know sweat and drinks and mm-hmm. humidity and all that stuff of, of something glitching and not working properly mm-hmm. i haven't had an issue yet so that's been really cool. Touchscreen has been a, yeah. has been a really big one. Um, did, did much change from the 2000 to the 2000 Nexus? It's just like an iPhone. The screen got bigger. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, from the 2000 to the 2000 Nexus, um, I can't put my finger on it, but I'm sure there are changes because yeah, they made a different model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nexus, I know you can connect differently, and like oh, Nexus okay. itself is the mm-hmm. connections of how they... They wire together. But how many actual functions change? Like, really, like, what functions are on many. it? No, it's just... And honestly, I'm using... Thing. Ultimately, your mixers, your mixers doing the magic. Yeah, yeah. Right? more hotkeys. There's more hotkeys and, and yeah. things like that. But I'll, I'll be honest, I use a pair of CDJs like a turn, pair of turntables. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, use all the functionality. Mm-hmm. I, I really play... I, they're on vinyl mode. I don't. I barely use the Q button. I, I still rock the platter on the yeah. first oh, beat. Yeah. Like, I'm still... Old I don't even like way. to be able to see that was when we were at Northern House. Yeah. I, I got to touch them for a couple of seconds yeah. before while Brad was setting up all the cameras. <laughs> I don't even like being able to see the BPM. Oh, yeah, right. I'd like to switch that off. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you just want to hear it I and feel hear it. it. I want to yeah. put the headphones on and I want to cue it up like a bit of vinyl and go, oh, fuck, where am I? Yeah, okay, yeah, there yeah. I am. Yeah. Right? Yep. Well, you, you can. Know, just pit, don't look down. <laughs> yeah, you can't not. It's right there. Yeah, you know true. what I mean? It's like, a big it's bright light. Right fucking there. <laughs> you know? screen there yeah. One of my, uh, I actually just sold it. I had um, a Newmark NS7 II controller. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to buy the Pioneer. I got it from Long & McQuaid. Good shout Long & McQuaid. Love Long yeah. & McQuaid, man. It's a great store. Um, I was going to buy the Pioneer. And the NS7 was there. And it had the 
actual spinning platters. Yeah. Right? It's got the fake little bits of plastic, which the Rain One now are doing as well, where it's a little bit of vinyl. And I was like, that's more feels like a turntable yeah. than that does. And I got to admit, I picked that. And it had a little bit in the middle where once you, once you were pitched up, it was like Night Rider. It just met in the middle, right? Just a little <laughs> red light. I fucking electric taped it straight away. I was like, I don't want to be able to see that at all. Right? And, and, my, and my MacBook, I would always turn to the side as well because yeah. I didn't even want to look at Serato. You fucking here. vinyl yeah. junkie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, one question. Um, obviously, you've made quite a lot of tracks now. In one year, you made 50 to 60 tracks. Yeah, including right. remixes and remixes of my work. I think it was the count was somewhere around fifty Jeez. for last well, year. Uh, so year and that's and released, not made. Yeah, it's released. So I released, have right? I have yeah. hundreds of right. unreleased <laughs> tracks. Yeah, I, I've quite a few. Yeah, I need yeah. um, so, what's your f- most favorite track or most successful track that you've done? Um, favorite track, I think it would have to be. Um, I'm a big f- fan of. I'm free, which was a couple releases ago on Groundwork, and that's done really well. Um, in terms of Beatport, probably the Mastercraft remix of of Resistor is the top track because of their name and who they are, and yeah, that yeah. sells more. Yeah. Uh, thank you for doing that remix, Mastercraft. That was great. Um, yeah, I don't know. My favorite changes every day. Yeah. You know, sometimes I listen to stuff in the car just to get. F- Refamiliarize myself with it and like do i want to play that this weekend how did that turn out what's it sound like in the car and mm-hmm. changes all the time yeah what yeah. about in your in your sets are you, are you generally playing only your own stuff or would you like to throw in other people's music uh i play a lot of like i would say i play mostly other people's music i've yeah, done cool. sets that are entirely my own music yeah um that's a lot of fun mm-hmm. that's yeah yeah it's, it's totally a lot of fun For especially sure. when it works you're yeah, like oh yeah this is no, great every track um, i'm playing is one of mine and people are liking this that must be an amazing feeling. yeah oh you know what one of my favorites is that went out on a label called quete from toronto is a track called surface change Surface change it to get it. I forgot to play it last night. Damn it. <laughs> uh, why is it your favorite? It's bouncy. Yep. It's accessible. It's fun techno. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has enough grit, grit, grit and um, off kilterness to it to satisfy that side of me artistically. Mm-hmm. But it just seems to get a good reaction when I play it. And. Uh, and I, every time I listen to it, I enjoy it. It doesn't get old to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's been that's been a lot of fun. Mm. Um, last night, uh, one of the highlights actually. A couple. I played a couple of my tracks. A lot of my tracks actually. Because oh, we didn't mention this, you played Gorgamish last night. Yeah. Anyone watching? Yeah. You played last night. Uh, I played five to eight a.m. So really late after hours, um, which means you can play, you know, all over the place a little bit. Um, I did a remix. There was a remix competition, and I'd just seen them in November when Canada opened up again for a little while with restrictions. Um, uh, Melky Chance came here. Oh, yeah. And they put up a remix contest for Colorado, and I was like, oh, I just saw them. It was a fun song. I'm going to, I'm going to, I can get the stems and I can crank out a remix in a day. So I'll, 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 uh, I'll have a go at it because it's, you know, they were a lot of fun, and my girlfriend loved them, and I was like, it was a fun song. So I cranked that out and actually really loved the remix mm-hmm. that I made. Um, I played it for the first time at the mine 
when you guys were there. Mm-hmm. And then just, uh, wasn't sure I was going to drop it last night and then did. And then the crowd was like really into it. Um, so it's, it's always fun to have those those things that you made and you touched, even if it is a remix of someone else's yeah, it's music. Twist on it. It's your remix. You've yeah, done right, you've yeah. done something to it, and it's like sometimes you know. they sound better than the original. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, quite yeah. often. No, it's true though. Quite yeah. often, remixes. Uh, you know, I like to take uh, I like to take like small parts of the vocal and loop it. Yeah, and I also like hard cutoffs on vocals at the end of phrases. So like the phrase should keep going, but it cuts off hard. So I did that in the remix, and it it creates some real nice. snappy moments, I guess. Yeah. And it and it worked, and it's always nice when rewarding when you've done that work and you believe in it and you know it's good as a DJ and a producer from your experience. But then it does work. Still a nice surprise every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, I mean, we're going to be closing up just a little bit sure. now. Um, but we ask this question all the time: What yeah. advice would you give to? future up-and-coming DJs, producers, people who want to get into DJ and producing, or just to even break the scene. Sure. And Go to Groundwork. Well, <laughs> if, if, you're, if, you're in Gra- if you're in Vancouver, come to Groundwork. We yeah. do it every month. Um, uh, you can find us all over socials, uh, Groundwork Techno on Instagram, uh, groundworkvancouver.com. Uh, groundwork is W-E-R-K, like Craftwork, if you're Googling us. Um look up the label um play our music <laughs> uh but no if you're if you're just starting out be involved um and if you if if all the doors are shut to you start your own thing in fact yeah. i think it's really important to start your own thing yeah um, i think that's kind of the root of a lot of yeah how a lot of labels and artists always have started back in the day. Like yeah. it, indie was, well, and it's an independent label. Yeah. White labels, White a lot labels, of the music yeah. back in the day, it was just, okay, I'll go and get some 20 acetates made up and I'll send totally. them out to some DJs and I'll see what happens. And boom, you know, like yep. start your own label. Absolutely. And it's not, it's right? the, again, the barrier for entry has gotten a lot lower. It's not as difficult to do. So, yeah. mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so start but producing music and be involved in your scene make friends in your scene mm-hmm. and like and you can whoever you are however you're coming into it you can be that person within the scene there's a perception of you have to be partying all the time or you have to be you know on all the drugs or you have to be this or that or the other thing and you don't if you don't want to you can be certainly you'll be accepted but you can you can navigate the scene who with where you're from whoever you are and find your people within it mm-hmm. uh, they're all multitudes of people within the scene so find your crew find your find people who are like-minded work with them do things with them reach out to them and go out go out go, go to, to the places yeah, you want to play clubs, yeah. uh, pay cover yeah uh shake hands get to know people you don't have to be insincere about it and if you're an introvert you don't have to i always just say like just get to know one person that night you don't have to know the whole club mm-hmm. just get to know one person you didn't before mm-hmm. and that you know that'll quickly you know exponentially grow for sure um but go out go out go out be part of of what you want to do it's not enough to practice djing at home or practice producing or both and then you know expect to be booked you Mm -hmm. need to it really is people want to work with people they know and and so become someone they know it's not that hard Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah and most importantly what are your future plans as well yeah what you got coming up Mm. yeah 
Well, uh, sleep tonight. <laughs> uh, last weekend, I, I went to Gorgamish three nights in a row, and Oof. I played Gorgamish last night. So I'm I'm feeling like maybe tonight is a night for sleep because I'm not booked to play tonight. So I think I'm going to sleep. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, next week, I play Vantech here in Vancouver, which is a wonderful new crew that's popped up in the last year or so, two years, um, where you can play harder techno. And I'm very much looking forward to that. I've played for them recently, and I'm very excited to be back playing mm-hmm. for them. Um, which is probably going to be, that will have happened by the time you're watching this. It was a great show. <laughs> it was um, a great show. <laughs> uh, there's, there's potential to go to, uh, there's potential. I'm just waiting to like sign the thing, but, and so it still could not happen, but there's a potential to go to Montreal at the end of the month. Yeah. Uh, there was talk about going to Mexico. There was talk about going to Europe, but then some restrictions came back and now there's some, conflict going, going on there and yeah, i don't know what's gonna happen going on over there. When you get... my aim is to go to europe mm-hmm. yeah that's where i would really like to play yeah. so i've been building a label and trying to build get on labels over there to build up the opportunities to go and play so now i, I think i can probably go play in turkey um the other label i was on wanted to bring me to czech republic and to spain so doors are starting to open and i can see that as travel opens up and as things settle down mm-hmm. that those opportunities will start to come mm-hmm. uh, especially as i stay stay with the output of the label. Um, so th- those are my plans, is to keep growing the label, um, bring back, start doing shows and nights here in Vancouver again now that restrictions have, have eased, pandemic restrictions have eased, is to start producing shows again. Mm-hmm. Do you and have then, any shows kind of in the planning right now? Uh, or? Yep, yep, yep. There yeah. are some. I'm bidding on some artists yep. already, cool. and I'm ha- setting up some meetings to meet with uh, different venues to see where it's what's available and who wants to do what work and what will work, what will work where. But so that's all in the planning happening. stage. It's all happening. It's all happening. Right um, and something worth noting actually with all of this is like, I also work a day job. Like, oh, yeah. Good for you, you know, buddy. outside Jeez. of this, I also work at Vancouver general hospital wow. and I'm also wow. an actor. So I'm juggling that career as well. Wow. So like, Hell, I'm I'm the fitting, man. all yeah. of those things take, takes, take time. No, um, yeah. And so, yeah, that planning's going on, but all of it has to be in its own time because we live in a very expensive city. Let's yeah. be, let's, this no area in this region is quite expensive. So uh, yeah. that has to be paid for somehow. And during the pandemic, there hasn't been a lot of gig opportunity or acting opportunity. So, um, and there's no shame in that. Like if you, a lot of DJs, even known DJs who we all know and love have day jobs mm-hmm. um, that we don't know about that we don't yeah. see on Instagram. And here I am admitting it. But, um, <laughs> I don't think there's anything there's wrong, wrong with that, that at all. No, man. Not like, at all. For, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, you know, I like, podcasting, do my own music, have a kid, have yeah. family, you know, and yeah. a day job. And I'm just amazed you have time to do it all. <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I feel tired just thinking about it. I take a lot of naps. <laughs> I nap a lot. Yeah. For I me, I think it was just structuring that time a day, set, like for producing, setting just, an hour or two just for that yeah and then cutting off after that Brad, I've, brad's been telling me off lately that i've got to prioritize my time haven't you? yeah he's so been, for beginning me. for beginning producers i would say this sit in the chair every day and i'm, I'm paraphrasing that from the war of art mm-hmm. um uh sit in the chair every just day do something every day whether it's half an hour a day whether yeah. it's two hours a day do it every day brad, yeah. do a little bit that. every day yeah. brad said whether you feel like it yeah. or not now, if you're having a writer's block, take a break. But yeah. like, 
Not two years like I did. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're, yeah. uh, you know, if, if, if you can, do it every day. And yeah. I've been finding it really productive. And the goat does this too because he also has a family and he also works a, a very responsible day job. He gets up at five in the morning and produces from five to six. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah. One first hit of the day, your A energy before you've used up, made a bunch of decisions, and tired out your brain. Yeah, uh, he uses that. I got, I got music. mornings for me, not for music producing, because obviously I don't. But when I was doing my electrical school, I'd study in the morning before yeah. I'd go to school. Yeah, because that's when I'm up and brightest. Yeah. and I still do every now and again before I go to work. I'll have an hour jam on the turntables before yeah, I yeah. go to work just for fun. If I've woken up early, nice. Put the headphones on and I just. <laughs> Throw down a few tracks and yeah. then off I go to work. I'm all pumped up. Nice. Got some good music in my head. I got to start doing that. That's good advice. Yeah, it's a good pretty, thing as well. It's a good way to start the day, man. <laughs> Quick little jam. I used to do it when I was a kid. Yeah. Because again, back when I was trying to learn, sorry, I'm just waffling on here. Um, trying to learn to mix vinyl. No one ever, no YouTube back then. Yeah. No one really explaining stuff. I would fucking practice all the time. Yeah. Used to drive my mum nuts. She fucking hate. She hated me. <laughs> Another thing also is uh, reading books about stuff as well. Yeah. Um, what's her name? DJ Rebecca and Anna. I follow them on, on social media, and they said um, you can get patch tweakers like the books and read about modular synthesis and just production and just studying in general. Just, yeah, right? just because it isn't all about from what they've said and what I spoke to other producers about. It's not just a, you know narrowed down to the computer it could be to the book it could be to like you said earlier practice learning a synth sure you know it, you know so reading books i think is a good aspect which i need to start doing more of reading 15 pages a day is always a good thing you're yeah. right at reading huh? you're okay with reading i get by you need the big words <laughs> get by. Big letters. i've got an iphone now does it for me <laughs> i'm not blind <laughs> uh, i just want to get this in as well actually because i forgot to ask you this in your production because yeah. obviously you said you did um 50 tracks obviously we mentioned earlier uh, how long does it take you to actually start a track from start to finish two and a half hours two and a half hours no fucking way so you've got a basic structure of what you would do, or do you have already have patches already made? No, but no. I, I uh, two and a half hours I would say would be the the fastest to the mix down. That's it. Yeah, ready yeah. to be mastered. Wow. Uh, yeah, like to play Always out. Master to be happy to be play out. Wow, to like man. to try it out. Oh, I would right. say I would say I can do it confidently. I would say like I can go to Northern House, rent it for four hours, and come out with a track. Is that because you know the equipment that you have yes. and you know your systems? Yes. And is, yes. So, and I know what I want to do and I've been DJing for 20 years so I know when things should happen yeah. and I know how to make them happen now in Logic because I've spent enough time mucking about with that yeah. and I can make it happen very quickly. Wow. It's not because I have a, a template. So I'll go into a little bit about how I work. Yeah. I find, uh, usually just start with a kick drum, like yeah. what what's the sound of the kick the, the heartbeat of the of the track what what type of kick am i going to build this around yeah, yeah and then uh f- usually find figure out figure out what kind of baseline i want to use to complement that and get those going and then i will go and search for okay basically is this a, a bleepy bleepy techno track or a stabby stabby techno track yeah. and it's like make one of those decisions and then find a sound or sometimes just go through sounds really quickly and find stuff and start building a groove uh, find the one or two main synth elements, uh, hats and sixteenths, sixteenth hats, offbeat hat, uh, ride, and I'll build it over maybe a bar to four bars and build the full sound. 
and do some preliminary mixing yep. while listening to that loop. Yep. And then I just drag that loop over six minutes. I was going to say, yeah, so you build the, your, your bar and then yeah. you just let you go copy copy paste paste yeah just like that's literally I just well, yeah. grab drag it and drag the yeah. whole thing and then i look at it like some, like a sculptor looking at a block of marble mm-hmm. you've got the you you've got a square away. block and you start chiseling and we start removing things that's cool so yeah. you're like how many tracks do you have when you make I, one in total i find that so i've i've also mixed down other artist tracks yeah which is something i can do for you i can mix and master your tracks uh my masters are not my masters are play outable Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you need a dummy master and you're not confident, I can do that for you. I can mix down your tracks and they're releasable. Um, uh, I have usually about 13 to 16 separate tracks. Yeah. That's all it takes for me yeah. mm-hmm. to get the sound and the feel that That's I want. Good, yeah. I've worked with other artists that have sent me stuff to mix down and we're working with 40 or 50 tracks. I've, wow. Yeah, I've done some of, I've got 32 and I've got some that have just got 11. Yeah, absolutely. Like, How the fuck have I gone from that to that? Yeah, you know, like <laughs> they sound almost the same. But I mean, listen to some of that Richie Hot and stuff from you know from uh, I forget the name of the box set, but uh, and it's just a kick drum. <laughs> like like yeah. you don't if the sound is good, you don't need a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's how do you make it sound great? And so I've spent a lot of my time, my learning time, on mixing, and I love mixing. I absolutely love mixing. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I've gotten fairly decent at that. Um, and, and so making sounds sound more than they are or take up the space in the right way uh, is important to me. And, and I do that fairly quickly as well. I have some favorite plugins for that. So that's that's how I work uh, and allows me to work very quickly. That subtractive method of like taking things away. It's like, oh, this is a kind of energy that I want to build over three minutes. So the breakdown will be there. And yeah. I want it to be a short breakdown because I don't want dancers to go for too long i'm not going to do a long build up on this one so it's only going to be 16 bars and i'm just going to take that out and then i'm going to it's 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 it allows you to make decisions very quickly yeah yeah and then usually i'll go back on a a second session Mm. and do a final tweak Mm -hmm. but like max seven hours six seven hours that's, that's good yeah yeah that's really good. And then I have a little mastering chain that I like to throw on. And at that point, I'm confident playing it out. Like I played out a bunch of my own that I'd mastered last night. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have someone else master it. Um, yeah. Ultimately. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. That's no, cool, man. Any advice for your producers and where to start on a track? Like start with a kick or start, <laughs> start at the beginning? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. True, yeah. No, yeah. I don't know. Uh, some people start with a kick. Some people yeah. start with melody. Yeah. So it depends on your style and your take of music, especially is like, some people want to start with the drop, the, the build up to the drop and mm-hmm. figure out what that's going to be and then kind of uh, reverse engineer from there to how to get to that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it really depends on what style of music you're making and, and, and what the tonality is within it yeah. and your it's arrangement one, style. It's one of those things. There's no yeah. real rules. No, there's no, no, there there's no, no real rules. rules. Say it, find you know, your thing, right? Yeah. I've, I've watched some videos and people sending questions like, where should I start? Yeah. And uh, you always find people do ask that question, but yeah, the answer pretty much always is where where do we start? You know, it's you like, should start like Craig said, it's a blank canvas. It's like art. Start with what excites you, mm-hmm. and if melody excites you, start with the melody. You can always add a kick drum later if the kick drums excite you, and that's that's your thing, and you love the sound of a kick drum, and you love playing with the release and the tails and the attack and layering and whatever mm-hmm. else. Start there. I like. I've only played around a little bit. I got a couple of toys, but yeah. kick drum and a bass line is where I yeah. like to start. I love bass, drums and bass. Right. It's 
Because you can, I can listen to like a good kick drum and a bass and like one synth element going. I can listen to that loop for like an yeah. hour. Yeah, and some yeah. of my favorite tracks, some of my favorite old tracks, are super simple tracks yeah. with hardly anything to it. Especially, right. yeah, like you know. we said, any Joey Beltram energy flash. Oh. You know, that's yeah. that's a that's a great track. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so yeah. simple and raw. Yeah, love that right. stuff. Well, yeah, I think we've brushed it up there. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming oh, on, man. It's been, Joel, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Been Thank a pleasure, you so mate. much for yeah. coming on the show and everyone out there. Please follow Joel. Check out Groundworks. Go and uh, follow him on Instagram and at Joel West Music on Instagram. There we go. Yeah, and we'll uh, put all your um, socials oh, and stuff in the description. Yeah. Make sure you follow us and subscribe and comment and all that stuff as well. Last plug: I mix, Matt. I I can do mix downs for you, and I also teach production and DJing as well. So there if we you're go. around and, and have access to being in the same region as me, I'm happy to do that for you. Would you ever yep. do any online stuff? I'm figuring out how to do that now, so that should be coming, um, and I would be looking forward to doing that. So if that's something you're interested in, please engage me with that, and I will figure out how to do that as soon as I have someone who wants to do that. I actually have someone from LA who wanted me to... Yeah, I'm figuring that out. <laughs> so we're learning, Kev. Yeah, well, good luck with everything in the Thank future, you. Joel. I'm sure we're going to see you pretty soon. Yeah, uh, we'll see you more often for the show. Yeah. <laughs> Like I say, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for yeah, having thanks, me. Thanks, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank Keep you. Keep on dancing. Keep yeah. on dancing. <laughs> <laughs>